0: Controversy brewing over what's available to read
1: at the library. A library in Jamestown Township is in danger of closing permanently. It stems from a controversy over books that represent the LGBTQ community.
0: Any normal human being knows that this kind of garbage doesn't belong with children. Members of a far right extremist group
2: showed up to a children's event at a county library
0: Several school districts across Colorado and the Denver Public Library are dealing with unspecified threats this week.
2: Libraries across the United States have become the target of conservative ire over books related to LGBTQ issues and racial justice. In today's episode, we're going to explain how these efforts have taken hold and what the impact is on the communities that are being attacked, as well as this important public institution. I'm Julia Nutter. I'm Claire Woodcock. This is Vice News Reports. Claire, it's so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. So
2: first, can you just tell me a little bit about what you write for Motherboard?
1: Well, I call me Beat the Politics of Information, and libraries are important access hubs for information. I actually used to work in an academic library, and that's where I first heard some of the conversations being had around labor dynamics among librarians, and that's sort of become a key area of focus for me.
2: And the VNR team has been, like, totally nerding out over your work over the last few months. I can say we're all library lovers. And we've been seeing, you know, your increasingly dire stories about just what librarians are going through.
0: County deputies are looking into a complaint about a book and trying to determine if a criminal investigation is necessary.
2: Particularly now, in the wake of these protests by conservative activists who are trying to get libraries to ban books related to racial justice and LGBTQ plus issues and feminism, obviously efforts to censor or ban books aren't new. In the U.S., we can trace this back decades.
1: Just what is obscene? The adventures of Huckleberry Finn, perhaps Sister Carrie,
2: Jane Eyre. There was also the Red Scare in the 1950s.
1: We've got to dig and root out the communists, and the
0: crooks, and those were bad for America.
2: There's even more recent examples, right, especially of parents trying to prevent kids from reading Harry Potter for promoting witchcraft, or from reading Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings.
3: Now some parents have objected to the profanity, a rape scene, and an out-of-wedlock birth.
2: I mean, in a way, efforts to censor or ban books, it's almost an American tradition. But as you've reported, what we're watching unfold today is really unprecedented in scope. So can you just explain how we got back here?
1: Sure. So I think one event that really just encapsulates this whole phenomenon began last year in Jamestown Township, Michigan. This is a small town of about 10,000 people, about a 20-minute drive from Grand Rapids.
3: So uh, my family has been there since uh, 1915.
1: This is Connor Cook. He's a medical student in Detroit who actually grew up in Jamestown.
3: But it was what you think of as kind of an Andy Griffith lifestyle. Like, it's all 55 mile per hour country highways. There are no traffic lights. People openly ride horses on the road. Growing up gay in Jamestown is just biding your time till you leave. (laughs) At least it feels that way.
1: So this part of Michigan is largely populated by descendants of Dutch-American settlers and has deep Christian roots.
3: One of the big activities in rural Michigan is called 4-H. It's like where kids learn agricultural skills, crafting skills, raise animals to win prizes at the fair. Then there are sports, and that's it.
1: For Connor growing up, his choice of activity was going to the library, the Patmos Library.
3: When I walk into Patmos Library as a gay kid from Jamestown, you feel safe for kids who don't want to be bullied in the locker room and whose parents don't have land to raise a cow on. That is where you spend your summer. And so I would just hang out with the five library grandmas all summer.
1: The Patmos Library is a converted old railroad station. Like many local libraries, it also hosts a bunch of free events like story time for toddlers twice a week, puppet shows, showings of Finding Dory or Jaws. There's also a teen board game night. Right, so not
2: exactly the kind of place that I'd expect to be front row center in a Vice news piece.
1: Right, but that changed last year in November 2021. That's when one of the Patnos Library's patrons filled out what's called a material reconsideration form. What's that? It's basically a one-pager that you can fill out to say to the librarians, Hey, I see you have this on your shelves, and I'd like you to move it to a different location or remove it entirely. Filling out this form jumpstarts a process in which the library's board of trustees can decide whether it's going to accept or deny the request. Okay, so what was the book? So the book in question is actually this really great young adult graphic novel called Genderqueer, A Memoir. It's by an author named Maya Kobabe. Kobabe goes by A, M, Air pronouns. And the book describes air, non-binary, and asexual identities. This is a really popular book. It was published in 2019, and it won the American Library Association's prestigious Alex Award, which is for books geared towards young adults. That said, it also has become a source of some controversy. Dozens of people pack a Harlem
2: High School board meeting Monday night where some parents demand the book called *Gender Queer* be removed from library shelves. The book is a graphic novel depicting the author's journey of gender identity and sexual orientation.
3: The major concerns here are the imagery in the book. There are adult topics discussed. However, the imagery itself does contain explicit content. I have a hard time
1: when you're putting such controversial pornographic material in a library that's paid for by us. It's not the main focus of the book, but parents around the country protested it for its illustrations of masturbation and of oral sex. The American Library Association says it's the most challenged book of 2021. But it was at Patmos when the patron filed the material reconsideration form. When the library first acquired Gender Queer, the staff had initially put the book in the adult section. Got it. Okay, so then what happened? So the library board says, okay, we'll look into it. They decide to put it behind the desk for the time being. But then the library starts getting more requests to take down more books, mainly graphic novels that include mentions of sex or specifically same-sex kissing. Connor wasn't necessarily surprised by the uproar in his hometown.
3: Jamestown, Michigan would have to be described as lacking any acceptance in any form of LGBTQ people in any way. It's not allowed.
1: By this spring, things start getting personal. The Patmos library director says she's harassed at work and online. Someone calls her a pedophile. And she quits. The second library director comes in, stays for a few months, then quits. This uproar over the books is being led by a local group called the Jamestown Conservatives, uh, oh, who are they? This is a Facebook group of a little over 200 members. The group says it's promoting awareness of, quote, the pushed agenda of explicit sexual content that is being infiltrated into our local libraries aiming toward our children. Oh, boy. I'd classify this as, like, a homegrown Christian nationalist group. They say their goal is to protect their children's purity and keep the, quote, nuclear family intact as God designed. <laughs>
3: I remember all of a sudden seeing signs in the yards to, like, close the library.
1: And so in May of this year, the Jamestown Conservatives launched a campaign to defund the Patmos Library.
3: The homemade signs are always, like, the juiciest. This is my favorite. I'm pulling up because I want to quote it correctly. It reads, it's not about closing the library. It's about protecting kids from the filth.
1: Uh. <laughs> this group sees books, books like Gender Queer and the libraries uh, that have these books as dangerous. Them,
3: the most common term was protect our children against the groomers.
2: Claire, how was it that voters were even able to do this to say, we won't pay for the library anymore?
1: It's a little wonky, but basically in Michigan, libraries are mostly funded every 10 years through something called a millage, which means rather than relying on the municipal budget every year, the library is funded by taxpayers as part of their property taxes. And so every decade, voters say, yes, we will fund the library. Jamestown conservatives figured out it was going to be on the ballot this year and then started actively campaigning against it. Keep in mind that we're not really talking about a lot of money there. The millage would have increased property taxes by something like $24 for the average homeowner. And this campaign? It worked. In the August primary, voters in Jamestown decided to defund the library. And then again a couple weeks ago in the midterms. Which means the library is going to have to shut down... Claire, this is such a bizarre story, but it's clear this is not just happening in Michigan, right? No, I mean what's happening in Jamestown is a version of something that's playing out all over the country. There's really this movement to suppress stories about race and LGBTQ plus people and themes. A potential ban
0: on a book that focuses on gender identity.
3: This is the book that's uh, garnering all the scrutiny. All boys aren't blue.
0: The author says that people misinterpret it
1: as pornography. Groups that track these efforts say that the number of books banned in their school libraries and public libraries have reached record numbers. A recent report from Pan-America found there's been an increase in book bans in schools. It says more than 1,600 book titles were banned during the 2021-22 school year. And what I've found in my reporting is that efforts to get rid of these books are not isolated incidents. You can think of what happened in Jamestown as the result of a playbook being followed by groups throughout the country. Earlier this year, the group PEN America put out an extremely meticulous report about how nationwide conservative groups like Moms for Liberty are pushing to have more influence over what kids get to read. And they provide a template for smaller groups to take action. I've seen how this process plays out, particularly in school libraries. Sometimes it's one parent complaining. Sometimes it's one school official pointing to a few lines in a book. One resource that's popped up in support of this cause recently is a rating system called Booklooks. It looks kind of like that website Goodreads, but it's basically there to just, like, warn parents about books they find objectionable for whatever reason. This rating system gives people the ammunition to challenge books at the local level. And some of these groups will even send out tips for how to dig up dirt on teachers and librarians online.
2: What's wild is that in some cases, as you've documented, it's very clear that the parents or school officials or whoever's complaining about this has not read the book in question in its entirety. Or they're pointing to one or two lines or illustrations and then calling the book pornography, which by definition is not the case, right? Pornography is something that intends to arouse you sexually. These books, if you read them, they're clearly not intended to do that.
1: Well, and what's interesting is that context is so important when librarians are deciding what books to put on shelves in the first place. This isn't just a matter of opinion. The American Library Association sees this as part of librarians' duty to defend the First Amendment right to access information. It's written into the code of conduct of many public libraries and school libraries that when making these decisions, you have to look at the entirety of the book. For example, in Gender Queer. Yes, there's an oral sex scene, but it's not the main focus of the book. And what's more likely is that the reader will walk away with a better understanding of what it means to be figuring out who you are or what your sexuality is. But this attempt to cherry pick this one line or this one illustration as evidence that something is pornographic, even if it's not at all accurate, is also a way to arouse anger and target books with LGBTQ themes. And it's working. The American Library Association found that most of the books targeted last year were by or about black people or people who identify as LGBTQ. Efforts to target these books are having a huge effect, not just on politics, but also on libraries as an institution. And their future, as places where people can safely seek information, is in many places on the line.
2: Who are you to impose your morals on other people's children and tell them what they can and cannot read and what is right and what is wrong? That's after the break. So, Claire, you were walking us through the situation at Patmos Library in Western Michigan, and you explained that a version of this story has been playing out all over the country, right, thanks to conservative activists seeking to remove LGBTQ and racial justice books from the shelves. But there's a lot more at stake here than just politics.
1: I think the protests against school libraries and public libraries have gained a fair amount of attention over the last couple of years but the impact it's having on librarians has been underreported. First, there's just, what's been going on since the pandemic started? During the pandemic, many librarians were among those frontline workers being asked to come in, risk your health, fill in for people who are sick. Librarians tell me their schedules are constantly changing, they're being put in different branches without much notice— And many complain of a lack of communication from leadership, as well as a lack of transparency in the decision-making processes that impact them. But then just think about the added stress on their jobs thanks to these protests and backlash against certain books. I've spent the last six months tracking this dynamic. I reported on one situation in Lafayette Parish, Louisiana, where a librarian was nearly run out of her job after she created an LGBTQ plus book display for Pride Month.
2: Who are you to impose your morals on other people's children and tell them what they can and cannot read and what is right and what is
1: wrong? Then in Vinton, Iowa earlier this year, Vinton's library will stay closed for the week after the library's only full-time employee resigned. Patrons basically began harassing staff members for identifying as LGBTQ+. He's the third leader to leave in two years. Enough staff members left that the library couldn't operate.
2: The previous directors left after complaints from the community about the library's display of LGBTQ books and books on President Biden and Vice President Harris.
1: In other situations, libraries are holding events like Drag Queen Story Hours, which are really popular events and usually turn out huge draws. But in multiple cases around the country... Members of a far-right extremist group showed up to a children's event at a county library yesterday. The Proud Boys have showed up. But parents say it quickly turned chaotic and filled them with fear. And they're doing that on purpose, for sure, to intimidate people. These protests have changed the tenor of library culture, and it's creating this really chilling effect. Librarians I've spoken to this year, they don't want to take the wrong step for fear of losing their jobs. And some are so overwhelmed by it, they're thinking of leaving librarianship entirely.
2: Even though, as you say, Claire, librarians are in a way supposed to stick up for the First Amendment, it doesn't seem that this level of intimidation and harassment and fear mongering is quite in their job description.
1: Yeah, it's true that for the most part, people don't get into librarianship to become the face of culture warfare. Many librarians, are actually difficult sources because they don't like to be interviewed. I mean, if I'm being honest, (laughs) they bury the lead anytime you want to talk about their projects or the larger implications of what they do. And when they do talk to you, it's because they're also trying to double check your sources. Of course they are. Which I appreciate. It means I I know that when I talk to them, they are trying to get as close to the truth as you possibly can. Right. But now they're being called upon to do so much more. And sometimes it can put them in an extremely dangerous
0: position. Denver police say they are actively investigating threats of violence that led to the closure of all 25 Denver Public Library locations today.
1: One day last September, an active shooter threat came into the Denver Public Library.
0: they saying all Denver Public Libraries are closed due to an unspecified threat. Library users were disappointed, but understanding. I just wanted to pick up a book that I had on
1: hold. This was the same week that Nashville's public libraries received a bomb threat, as well as Fort Worth, Texas, and other cities. In response, many libraries decided to close. So what was the deal there? What, What was going on? It turns out that many of these calls came from out of state. They were all found to be hoaxes, thank goodness. But one of my main takeaways was just how unprepared libraries were for this onslaught of threats. Several employees I spoke to at the Denver Public Library told me that before the library closed, leadership was not consistent in communicating what was going on. One of the employees told me that leadership, quote, didn't seem to have a protocol in place for receiving this kind of threat.
2: It's kind of surprising to me that libraries wouldn't have a plan in place for this kind of thing, especially given, A, the uptick in harassment that we've been documenting for the last couple of years now, but also there have been threats against schools and hospitals for years now.
1: Yeah, and the result is that when these things actually do happen, some libraries don't take them seriously enough, or their response is way too overblown. I spoke to someone who does have expertise in this field, one of the few who focuses on library security. And he told me that he actually doesn't even recommend closing libraries because it can make you even more of a target. The American Library Association says libraries need to work with their local law enforcement to figure out how to respond, as well as contact the FBI. But this opens a whole other can of worms, especially when we're talking about libraries and largely BIPOC communities where there's already a deep lack of trust in police. And so this is the challenge for libraries right now. How to remain safe spaces, both for access to information and for the patrons themselves. That is, if they're allowed to stay open at all.
2: So libraries are already in a precarious position, and these threats make it that much more difficult for them to function normally. But let's go back to the situation at Patmos Library. What's the update there?
1: Well, since the initial August vote in which Jamestown defunded the library, it's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars from across the country to help it stay afloat. In fact, the romance novelist Nora Roberts, she donated 50 grand of that herself. But fundraising for libraries is not sustainable, and library officials say they expect that even with all the donations, they'll probably run out of money by early 2024. But I think the other trend to keep an eye out for is how conservative activists are not just only pushing for those book bans. They're trying to basically Trojan horse their way into these libraries. Like, during this year's midterm, many conservative activists ran for positions on their local library boards and won. For Connor Cook in Jamestown, it's a warning
3: sign. You don't need to care about the queer kids of Jamestown, Michigan, in the sense that you'll probably never meet us. I will do the caring for you. I am asking you to care for the queer kids in your town. So please check who runs your library, please find out. It legally has to be online. They have to tell you. You don't own it, but you are responsible for it. So please care.
1: We often think of librarians as, you know, glasses, demure, cardigan sweaters, like a very cottagecore aesthetic. But really, if you think about it, librarians hold a lot of power. Libraries are supposed to protect the First Amendment right to access information. And many library staff have gone above and beyond to make sure their libraries are also safe spaces for vulnerable communities. Like I said, drag queen story hours have been a huge hit. And when librarians stock shelves with books related to racial justice and LGBTQ plus issues, this can be a lifeline to patrons who don't typically see themselves reflected in the media. But as we saw this past weekend in Colorado Springs, where five people were killed at a shooting in a queer nightclub, safe spaces for LGBTQ communities are constantly under threat. And so libraries and those of us who love them have to think about what we can do to not only protect them from closing, but also how to make them and other community gathering spaces safer.
0: That's stamps.com. Code program.
2: This episode was reported by Claire Woodcock and produced by me, Julia Nutter. Vice News Reports is produced by Sam Egan, Sophie Casas, Adriana Rodriguez, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cuttrell, Janice Yamoka, and me, Julia Nutter. Our supervising producer is Ashley Cleek. Our associate producer is Steph Brown. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Kariuki. For Vice Audio, Annie Aviles is our executive editor, and Janet Lee is our senior production manager. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Julia Nutter, filling in for Ariel. If you can, please rate and review this podcast. It really helps other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week.